Hello and welcome back to Practicing English. And it's Friday, so that means it's time for a story. And as you probably know, I'm reading my book, The Tudor Conspiracy, which is available online at any Amazon platform. And if you have the book, you can read along and listen at the same time, as well as do the exercises which are included in the book. So I'm on the penultimate chapter today, chapter 17. Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels or for those students who just want to improve their general English. And before I start, I will read out some of the words, three words from the chapter, which you can listen out for and identify the context they are used in. Where, what, who. So the first word is to broadcast. It's a verb and a noun, a broadcast. And to broadcast, the verb means give out information on the radio or television. And that is to broadcast. The second word is also a verb and a noun, and it's challenge. And the verb to challenge, in the context of this chapter, is to face up to somebody because you have a dispute with that person or an argument with that person. So to challenge somebody. And the third word is ordeal. O-R-D-E-A-L, and an ordeal, it's a noun, is a difficult or unpleasant experience. And I have a question for you. And the question is, how did Isabel know she wasn't in danger when she spoke to Jane Grundy? How did Isabel know she wasn't in danger when she spoke to Jane Grundy? The Tudor Conspiracy by M. A. Bilber. This recording is copyright. Chapter 17. The Police Station. The sound of a police siren interrupted the scene, and several cars could be heard pulling up in the street. Isabel, Philip, Mr. Fanshaw, Professor Hawthorne, Jane, the security guard, and two American tourists were all taken down to Stratford-upon-Avon Police Station for questioning. There were a lot of reporters and photographers waiting for them at the door outside. 
but the police pushed straight through them and took Isabel and Philip inside. Isabel had become very wet from her ordeal at the porch, and once in the police station began shaking with cold. A very nice policewoman offered to buy her some clothes. So Isabel gave her some money, and half an hour later, the policewoman returned with a new pair of jeans and a warm sweater and underwear. Eventually, it was Isabel and Philip's turn to explain the events to Police Inspector Simmons. They were shown into the inspector's office and sat behind a desk while the inspector began typing with two index fingers on a large typewriter. Isabel and Philip explained the story from the beginning, including the instructions from Arthur, their visit to the Bodleian Library, and the events since their arrival in Stratford-upon-Avon. They described their meeting with David Buddle, how he had given them the fake quarto, and then the shooting in the church, and finally, how they arrived at the guest house in the rowing boat. Isabel even included how she had crossed from her balcony to Jane's, and had been inside Jane's room. Inspector Simmons stopped typing and frowned at this part in her story. That wasn't legal, he said. If you suspected that this woman was in possession of a handgun, you should have contacted the guesthouse owner and explained the situation to her. She would have called the police. Isabel said nothing and looked down at the floor. She was too tired to defend herself. Neither did she want to explain how the look in Julie's eyes had made her suspicious, how she had seen things in her mind. The inspector grunted to himself and continued typing the statement. When they got to the end of the story, the inspector sat back in his chair and rubbed his chin. You have no need to worry, he said. Everything seems clear. Firstly, there is the evidence given by the security guard at Shakespeare's birthplace and two American tourists. That Miss Grundy pointed a gun at you in the birthplace garden. Secondly, the security guard in the church, the one shot in the leg, not a serious wound, it seems, told news reporters he'd seen a couple run out of the church. A shame he said that, really, because later he admitted he never saw either of you with a gun. Somebody else who went unseen was presumably responsible for the shooting. When we check the bullets fired in the church, I'm sure they'll match with Grundy's gun. But what really confirmed for us that you did not carry out the shooting was because there was another witness in your favour, continued the inspector. Another, another witness? witness? Who? Who? asked Philip and Isabel together. Mr. David Buddle, said the inspector, the man who gave you that Shakespeare book. When he heard on the news that a young couple were responsible for shooting a security guard, he called the police station straight away. He told us 
that he had seen a suspicious person following you when you left his laboratory. He said he suspected the person was from the... The inspector looked at his notes. Anglia Nostra organization. He explained how you had been set up by Mr. Fanshawe and himself, and that Anglia Nostra wanted that book. He assured us you were both innocent in this affair. This information was then broadcast later on the news. Oh, and one other thing. We didn't disclose your names to the press. We kept that information confidential. Isabel smiled slightly. That's nice to know about David Buddle. He seemed such a good, honest man. I'm glad he told the truth in the end. The inspector cleared his throat. <clears throat> we'll check with Grey Gables' guest house, of course, but if what you say is true, everything should be fine. Under the circumstances, there's no need to go back to the guest house. The police department will cover any costs for the use of the rooms. Philip leant forward and spoke. What about Arthur Fanshawe? Will he get the proof he needs for his case against Professor Hawthorne? Well, replied the inspector, if he just needs evidence that Anglia Nostra destroy old books, it looks like he'll get it. On the other hand, Miss Gavira, Mr. Fanshawe, as an employer, exposed you, an employee, to a dangerous situation. You realised that you could press charges. Isabel shook her head. I won't do that, she said. The inspector nodded to himself and then began to look over the statement he had just written. You'll both have to sign this statement now, he said. However, I have just one last question. He looked across the desk at Isabel. If you knew Miss Grundy had a gun, why did you confront her in the birthplace garden? You say here, and he read from the statement, I wanted to attract the attention of a security guard so he would come and arrest Miss Grundy and find the gun. I understand that, but you risked your life. She could have shot and killed you. You knew she was capable. Why did you risk your life? Surely there must have been another way to attract the attention of the security guard. Isabel's eyes widened, and her hands went to her face. I'm sorry, Inspector, she said. There's something I forgot to tell you. There is? asked the inspector. Isabel opened her handbag and slowly put her hand inside. Miss, said the inspector, suddenly looking alert. Isabel pulled out her purse and opened it. She then took out some small metal objects, held her hand over the desk and dropped them carefully. They made tiny metallic sounds as they bounced on the desktop surface. Bullets, said the inspector.
Yes, said Isabel. I am so sorry I, I forgot to mention it before. When I was in Miss Grundy's room, I took the bullets out of the gun. I mean, it seemed to make sense at the time. I couldn't leave her with a loaded weapon, could I? She's a very dangerous woman. Philip and the inspector stared at her with their mouths open. Then the inspector reached for the phone. After a brief pause, a deep, calm voice crackled. Sergeant Jenkins. Jenkins, Inspector Simmons here. Do you have the gun with you? You know, the one used by Grundy. Jenkins's voice came over the phone quite clearly for all to hear. Yes, it's here on my desk. I haven't run any tests on it yet, but I'll tell you what I can, sir. The make? asked the inspector. It's a Browning P-35 semi-automatic, sir. Nine millimeter, said Jenkins. In fact, it's quite peculiar. It's very old. Probably World War Two. The inspector picked up one of the bullets from the desk and held it up to his eye. Can you tell me if the gun is loaded, Jenkins? he asked. It's in the evidence bag, of course, said the sergeant. I'll see if I can open the gun and check. A few tense moments passed, but Isabel looked quite calm. My goodness, sir, it's completely empty. There are no bullets in it. An empty gun. Does that change things, sir? Not at all, said the inspector. Miss Gavira removed those bullets. On no account tell Grundy what you have just learnt. She was convinced the gun was loaded. Very good, sir, said Jenkins, and the inspector put the phone down. These look like bullets from an old Browning to me, the inspector said. My father used to have one from the war days. And that's right, three bullets fired, ten bullets left. A Browning holds thirteen bullets. He looked at Isabel. Well, miss, he said, that explains a lot. I didn't take you for a fool. You supposed the gun was empty when you challenged Grundy. That's right, said Isabel. I imagined I was in no real danger. The inspector thought for a moment. Well, it is possible she might have reloaded the gun. Had you thought of that? Isabel nodded. Why would she reload? She was taking the gun to hand over to the professor. She never expected to see Philip and me again. The inspector raised his eyebrows and nodded with approval. Well, that makes sense. You seem to be a very good judge of human character. I read a lot of novels, said Isabel. They help me empathize and understand how people think. Philip was now thinking there might be another reason. Isabel knew what Jane Grundy would do, but he said nothing. 
I see, said the inspector. But that does bring up another question, he continued. Did Grundy pull the trigger while she was pointing the gun at you in the birthplace garden? I don't know, answered Isabel. It was raining hard. Right, you wouldn't know, said the inspector, nodding his head thoughtfully. How could you know? Inspector Simmons looked at the last page of the long statement in his typewriter and scratched his head. I'll just write that bit about the bullets at the bottom of the page, and then you can both sign it and go, he said. And that's the end of chapter 17. Until next Friday. Goodbye for now. Thank you.